and no disrespect to them, but I think it's pretty clear that of the two teams, Georgia was the one closer to being a national brand this year. I will be very interested to see in 2019 if Notre Dame brings 40,000 people to the stadium. My guess is that they won't. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today we're going to be reviewing the Notre Dame game from this past weekend, which is very exciting. Yeah, we, we're very, very excited to do this. Um, I think that's a real understatement for you, Nathan. Yeah. Uh, I don't really have... I'm rarely at a loss for words, and this whole weekend <laughs> um, I was kind of at a loss for words. As to the whole situation. Those of you that haven't actually seen it yet or gone to our website, um, you should definitely check it out, chapelbellcurve.com. Nathan went stats crazy this weekend. Um, He also is in charge of our social media accounts and went social media crazy on his trip up to South Bend. Yeah, so um, maybe we should start by just talking about our experiences from the weekend. I think so. Okay, so I'll start Um, because this is a good segue from your social media crazy thing. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I was with the Redcoats this weekend, and um, we basically, on the way there and on the way back, we took buses, and we hit every single patch of traffic between here and uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, both ways. We got traffic in um, Atlanta, Nashville, Louisville, Indianapolis, and then Fort Wayne. So it was 16 hours up and 14 hours back on what's supposed to be about a 12 or 11-hour car ride. Um, so I had a lot of times to get things set up. So I started us an Instagram account. We're at Chapel Bell Curve on Instagram. Um, we've had some really good traction on our Twitter. Please go follow our Twitter. We'll be live tweeting from there. Um, we actually got a like on one of our tweets from Bill Connolly, Stats God, which I'm sure he just threw in there as a toss off because he did it at like four or five in the morning. But but really, we could just close up now. Yeah. Like we we, I mean, we, Simpai noticed us. Um, <laughs> we've been touched by the stars. Um, yeah, so as for my experience, um, okay, so starting on Friday, we went to Fort Wayne, which is just as desolate and sound as it's sad, or sad as it sounds. Uh, then we drove about two hours up to, um, South Bend, got to South Bend, you know, from the outset, every single person that we met there who was a Notre Dame fan or who worked with the Notre Dame band or who was just on campus, uh, helping out was awesome. Just a lot of really sweet, nice people, um, and just generally speaking, a lot of uh, very sort of friendly Midwesternist, uh, Midwesterners, rather. Uh, Notre, Dame's, Notre Dame's campus is beautiful. If you want like sort of a UGA frame of re- reference, imagine if all of UGA's campus was North Campus, but flat. Um, and that's pretty much what it is, except a little bit more historic and uh, beautiful. We went to the Basilica, which is their sort of cathedral on campus, and it was gorgeous. And then we went to the Golden Dome and the Grotto and all these other. There's a lot of uh, sort of named places. The way that we have the arch, there's a, like quite a few of those. Um, so that was like a really fun experience, and I have nothing but good things to say about just the entire Notre Dame faithful, Notre Dame faithful as a whole. Um, we, I only got like sort of barked at once by a Notre Dame fan, and you know. He, they were just in general as a fan base, like not ready for the SAC, the SEC level stuff we were bringing them. We walked by the stadium and a Notre Dame fan was like, yeah, that's how a real stadium looks. And like four people in my group immediately burnt him. I said, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very cute for like a, like a little league stadium. It's about 20,000 seats away from a real stadium for, for big boys, but they were great people. Um, the game itself was fun. 
Uh, Notre Dame, you know, kind of has a reputation as being a pretty quiet stadium. And I think that I, I really do think that their their students were doing everything they could. I thought their students seemed like they were really involved. Um, their student section was right across from ours, like caddy corner to where we were. And they looked like they were really raucous. But yeah, just A, like half of the Notre Dame alumni in the stadium sold their tickets for UGA fans. Mm-hmm. And B, the ones that were there were just not very loud. Um, and God, the whole UGA takeover thing, that is a real thing. Um, I took a picture about 15 minutes before uh, kick and it's on Instagram and a video. And it was just like, we, when we got in there, it was about an hour and 20 minutes before uh, kick. And there were, all, there was already this speckling of red. And I was like, okay, well, that's a pretty good showing. Uh, but by the time the kick was through, the, by the time of kick, it was just like, holy crap, there's a lot of red in the stadium. And we'd kind of gotten an inkling of that because, um, as most of you probably know, the band chants in to the stadium. So we chanted in basically all the way across uh, Notre Dame's campus. And there were a lot of UGA fans yelling at us on the way in. Um, so that was a really fun experience. The game was awesome. Their game day experience is, you know, a little bit more sedate. Uh, but, you know, they tend to they manage their piped-in music relatively well. We had to play through it a lot, which was annoying. They just kept playing on every down. They would play piped-in music more than the band played, their band. And so at some point, we just started playing on every down like we want to do. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I have nothing but good things to say about the whole experience of it. And, of course, we got to win, and I'm still a little hoarse from it, like, four days later. So, <laughs> uh, And then on the way back, I just kind of, like you said, I went to Stats Crazy. I made this thing. We made a post of it on the blog at chapelbellcurve.com. And I made just a huge stats breakdown with just about every stat you can think of, plus um, play-by-play observations of the entire game, where I just went in and broke down sort of like what the situation was, what the play was, what I thought looked good, what I thought looked bad. This is something I'm going to try to keep doing going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to look a little bit different. I think going forward, I've figured out a couple of ways I want to organize it a little bit better. Um, uh, but the stats, the, the stats should be pretty much the same. In terms of the observations, obviously I'll have more to say about, you know, the Auburn game than the Samford game and one imagines. Um, so I'm not going to promise that I'm going to do like 50 observations on every single game, which is what I did this time. Yeah. There's a whole lot going on in there. I was going to ask you yet, yeah, uh, before you committed to it, uh, is that something you're going to keep up with every week? Yeah. I mean, I've gotten it. I did. It took me about six hours to do on the bus. But a lot of that had to do with the fact that I was doing it on Wi-Fi on my laptop. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that nightmare is coming after the Florida game. But I think on a normal game day, especially on a, if a game is earlier, it should be pretty easy to knock out. Because I can watch the video of um, the replay of the game at about 1.25 speed, mm-hmm. which means that, you know, I can actually watch the entire game in about two and a half hours. And I've gotten the shortcuts to YouTube and to YouTube TV down to the point where I can just... Uh, pretty much run through it really quick and just have a Google document up on my other screen. So yeah, I, I don't cool. mind committing to that. Not a problem at all. Awesome. But so what was, uh, what was it like after the game? Like, was there a big party? Where'd you go afterwards? Did you go straight <laughs> back to Fort Wayne? What happened? Yeah. I mean, on the way out, uh, there's several videos of this on the Instagram, but on the way out, I was, it was raucous and crazy, but then, you know, we kind of got to our buses, everybody ate and we didn't get back to Fort Wayne until two. So we just usually, um, there's a little bit of extracurriculars going on in the in the band or whatever, um, but I did not observe any of that this time because I was <laughs> staring at the back of my eyelids asleep. Yeah, um, and I didn't hear anything either. I mean, it seemed like the entire band, everybody was so exhausted. We had just done like a 16-hour day, and we were, you know, we calculated at the end of the trip that of the 72 hours we spent on the trip from Friday to Monday, uh, we spent 32 of them in the bus. Ugh. So it was a pretty sedate time when we weren't <laughs> at the game itself. Yeah. So how was your, what was your experience like, um, this weekend? 
Um, I had a great time. I, I worked Saturday, and it was pretty crazy uh, for an away game. People were still out and about in Athens, uh, kind of doing their thing, getting ready for the game. These um, night games have been awesome for Creature Comforts, I will say. Um, I think they're good for just about everybody. We were just talking about that before this game. Um, we were saying how it's really great for the band um, because you guys don't have to report at like 6 in the morning. Right. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And then it's great for us because people don't leave to go to the game or any other bar to watch the game. And so it's just not a big deal. Everyone wins. Um, but yeah, I was there for most of the time. I talked to a few people. I didn't. I only <laughs> I had one fan take me up on the offer that I, I put out there. On the oh, really? Game. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. You had somebody that came up to you? No, it was Ryan Clark. Ah. <laughs> uh... Ryan but, Clark, who is your, just for the record, your full disclosure, who is your uh, future, I guess, brother-in-law? Brother-in-law, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I thought that was pretty hilarious. Um, but yeah, he came with the family, and they all came by, um, and so they redeemed their free beer, which he was going for other reasons. He was just coming to say hey, but I thought it was worth noting that At least that some, someone loves us. Someone loves us enough. Um, other than that, I actually went over to their house that night after work, and we did watch the game. Um, we had a really fun time recording everything. We recorded ourselves watching the game, not just audio, not visual, uh, video at all. Um, and so there might be some hilarious kind of drunk takes. It's kind of a, a drunk version of a hot take, um, throughout that game because we had a really great time drinking good beer, having a good time with each other. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll go through like specific op- observations because, We'll go through that all through the, the actual episode. But overall, it was a really great time. I forgot how anxious college football makes me. Um, and why we do this to ourselves is beyond me. And why it's fun to be anxious uh, about something is yeah. beyond me as well. You know, uh, two things that I forgot to say. One, I, I pulled, I have a Fitbit, and I pulled my heart track from that game day. Mm-hmm. And basically starting at about three to four, which is when we were gearing up for the game, my heart rate was just spiked until the <laughs> end of the game. So I definitely appreciate it there. Yeah. Um, one other thing I wanted to say was that I met Tony Waller yeah. of uh, the Wait and Sits Last Saturday podcast on Saturday, and we had a really good time talking, and he was looking for me all day, and he kept on asking for <laughs> Justin and Nathan. I don't, I think he just couldn't remember which one of us was on staff, so mm-hmm. there were a lot of really confused staff members coming up to me being like, yeah, there's this guy looking for you, but also he described you as, he describes you perfectly and then said you were Justin, and then finally <laughs> I saw him talking to one of the other staff members and them looking very confused, and so I was like, oh, I bet that's, I bet that's Tyler Dogden, so we met, and that was like really awesome, and um, you know, yeah, so it was really good to see sort of the um, real-life version of one of our favorite uh, podcast personas there. I, I'd like to call them, like, our sister podcast, but, you know, that's that's a big honor. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think we're quite us. to that yeah. point. They're more like our... They're more like our big brother. Yeah, well, like, I, I think they're more like, you know, the podcast that we've kind of hung out with a little bit, and maybe we've gone to dinner, but there were other people there. You know, we haven't really started actually dating yet. Yeah. I was thinking more like, oh, they made a podcast. I want to make one, too. Big brother made one. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We haven't quite... We're still, like, we're not in high school yet, and they're still way cooler than us. Yeah. But soon we'll have the leather jacket and we'll take our hair down and remove our sunglasses or and, our glasses, not our sunglasses. And then we'll look awesome. We'll be yeah. like the pretty version of the girl from the breakfast club, <laughs> which I think she was less pretty like that, but whatever. Uh, to each their own. Anyway, let's talk about football. Yeah, let's do it. You want to talk about specifics? So let's talk about um, kind of, it's really great that you've already built this like observation report from the game and everything, but we can kind of start talking about. Okay. So like you were saying, let's talk about some actual football. 
some honest to God football. Um, mm-hmm. do, do you want to just break this down by who has the ball kind of stuff? Uh, we can do that, or you can. Do you want to go over like the the general stats first, and then we can break into specific instances sure, where sure. each of those makes sense. Okay, so let me just run you down the general stats. Um, I'm going to go through the five-factor box score, and then I'm going to go through our general stats numbers I have here. So we're going to put the link again to this um, this sheet, the stats report, in the show notes. So if you want to follow along, I'm basically just reading straight off of the stats report. So if we look at the five-factor box score, we're going to have Georgia on top, Notre Dame on the bottom. Um, so we've got um 77 or sorry so obviously it was 2019 georgia to notre dame 72 plays for georgia uh 326 yards 4.53 uh, yards per play 16 drives six trips inside the 40 and 3.33 points per trip so that's all georgia's numbers um average field position started at 31.9 our success rate offensively was 28 percent, still pretty bad yeah. um our turnover our turnover margin was zero um, we had 1.02 uh, expected turnover margin, so we were a little lucky, I guess, um, but not incredibly. Uh, yeah, so Notre Dame, 19 points, 77 plays, 265 total yards, 3.44 yards per play, 16 drives, six trips inside of the um, 40, 3.17 points per trip. Our average field, their average field position was 28.2, success rate of 20%. Turnover margin zero, uh, expected turnover margin negative 1.02. So, yeah, we got a little lucky there. So, actually, no, that would mean they got a little lucky. Okay, so looking over our more traditional stats, that was the five factors block store. Let's see, we had 17 first downs um, to their 18. Our rush yard numbers were uh, 40 rushes for 191 yards and one touchdown. They had 37 rushes for 55 yards and one touchdown. Uh, passing numbers for us, 16 of 29 for 141 yards, one in touchdown, one interception. Pass yards for them, 19 for 39 for two, uh, 211 yards, no touchdowns or interceptions. Uh, total yards, 332 for us, 266 for them. Uh, fumbles, we, lo- we had one fumble and we lost it. They had three fumbles and they lost two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, two turnovers apiece. We had 12, tw- 12 penalties for 126 yards. They had eight for 63 yards. Um, third down efficiency, we were four of 18. They were three of 17 and time of possession, 32, 42 for us and 27, 18 for them. So, so some things that stick out immediately. Yeah. Um, Give me your observations. So things that stick out for me, stats based, uh, which also kind of correlate with my, my own visual observations during the game is, um, third down efficiency for both teams was awful. It was absolutely terrible. Yeah. Just absolutely atrocious. Yeah. It was, I, I don't understand how we were as efficient as we were on, on our side of the ball. Um, and still managed to get such a low third down efficiency. Um, same thing with our time of possession. I'm surprised it was the, the margin between the two teams was that much different. Um, which is pretty insane to me. Uh, penalties were terrible. Penalties were a big issue for me, us. Uh, I think we got lucky with not having more issues coming from those penalties. Um, and our turnovers, the same thing you said, we got lucky. I definitely think we got lucky because on those turnovers, they didn't make scores necessarily from the turnover, but in the resulting drives, they did end up scoring points. Yeah, they got, um, I'm thinking they probably of their 19 points, I would say running through it. I think they probably had 13 that were either given to them by that, that either set up, set up the drive from a, um, turnover or Mm -hmm. were, um, the drive was prolonged by a penalty. So obviously those played a huge role in the game. Um, any other, do you have any other first brush stats, stat, uh, thoughts before we get in? I was also going to say with that third down efficiency, that, that was really the biggest thing for me because in the game too, they didn't convert a third down until almost the fourth quarter, which I thought was astounding. 
and I was very happy with our defense. We'll talk about our defense much more uh, decisively yeah. in a minute, too. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one thing I want to say is um, the thing that stands out for me uh, from those for uh, is the success rate. So 20% success rate. 28% for us is we had about 32% last week. So our offense is just not that good, and I think that's true. But um, their offense, even after this week, is the 18th-ranked offense in the nation. Now, a lot of that comes from preseason predictions. We're still at about 80% on the S&P+. But I think that this was a very good offense for Notre Dame, and them having a 20% success rate is just incredible. Um, I thought that this was one of the better played defensive games I have ever witnessed from a Georgia team, like firsthand. Um, and I've been watching games not as long as a lot of people, but in, uh, since 2006 in person. And I can only think of a couple where we played that well defensively. 2007, we had a couple of teams that we were just better than they were and overpowered them. But I've, I can't remember us playing that well defensively against a good team in forever. It felt we looked ruthless. We looked like a top 10 defense. You know, and that is something that the our stats, the stats currently have us defensively. Um, we got the S&P Plus rankings um, updated. And so currently our S&P Plus ranking on defense is 11th. 11th? So, yeah, um, not just top 20, but top 15. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, oh, that's something that the eye test bears out. I mean, I am a very negative Georgia fan, and <laughs> I felt – I felt better on when they got the ball back the last time they had the ball with about three minutes left. I have never felt that good in a close game about another offense having the ball uh, since I have been watching UJ games. I just I felt like we had an answer for most things that they were going to do, and it turned out that we did. Uh, yeah. yeah, one of my other absolute favorite things about this defense is that I was going through and I was like, man, who did I think was the best player today? Who was the MVP? And there were so many defensive players, yeah, like three or four that really made a huge difference in this game. I think you've got you've got four easy choices. Yeah, yeah. four sim- very simple choices, and it was very obvious that every time one of those four players was doing something to stuff the ball, keep the ball where it is, put pressure, like they were always in place, they were always doing their job, and they were always communicating. Um, it was incredible. I think that uh, Lorenzo Carter is a grown man, which I we also discussed. Um, I'm hoping to have a take from our actual um, game-watching audio. We talk about how silly it is that that is a way to describe a very good football player, and I'm hoping that that comes out really well because it was hilarious. Uh, but yeah, Lorenzo Carter it was absolutely incredible. Raquan Smith, absolutely incredible. It was This felt like that 2012 team um, that was on the other side of the ball from Aaron Murray. Yeah. Uh, it was insane. Uh, I will also say J.R. Reed and uh, Davin Bellamy also had amazing games, mm-hmm. well worthy of consideration. Absolutely. I think that, who was it? Somebody was already named the Defensive Player of the Week. Yeah, Lorenzo Carter is the SEC, All-SEC yes. Defensive Player of the Week and was one of the team's Players of the Week. So let's start talking about um, any individual plays, moments, more specific things that we think about this game, either from a statistical standpoint or just individual plays that you wanted to highlight um i think the one play that everyone loved the most was that terry godwin catch that looked like odell beckham jr Mm. in Mm -hmm. the end zone i think that's the one that is probably the most sensationalized play of this entire game that people you're going to see it on the front of articles you're going to see it it is currently my phone background i was going to say you're going to see on people's phone backgrounds it's going to be that man's like profile picture yeah on facebook yeah it was incredible um Uh, almost got called back but it ended up being reversed um by the refs. I thought that was a really, really a good 
pretty emblematic of how much better our receiving core is this year. Mm -hmm. I would say that we're only average at this point, but compared to where we were last year, that's like a huge step up. That's a huge step up. I think Godwin, he only had two catches, but he looked really good blocking the whole night. Mm -hmm. And he, both of those catches were just really clutch um, contested catches where he looked really good. I thought Javon Wims, um, he had a play in our last drive where we scored the winning points that basically won us the game. I mean, he caught the ball at the 20, at the 17, um, which was well within Rodrigo's uh, field goal range. So mm-hmm. I thought I thought that the receiving core looked really good, even if they were used sort of in a limited way and oftentimes were a little bit hamstrung from Jake Fromm. That's a good time to talk about what did you think about Jake Fromm last night or Saturday night? Um, I think Jake Fromm was fine. I think it was definitely showing showing that he is inexperienced, but he's playing really well for a, a quarterback on their very first like real start, especially against a top 25 team. He kept his cool. He never looked like he was freaking out, uh, but he definitely needs to just dial it in just a bit more. There were times where there were some super clutch plays of our receiving court burnt their defenders and overthrew them, underthrew them, just made bad throws when there were other open players. Um, but there wasn't anything that sticks out in my head that I'm like, man, that guy's got to go. We need Jacob Misa back uh, because he did play much, just a better performance than anticipated, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I think that for us to have the best possible season, we do need Jacob Eason back. We do, definitely. But you're right. I mean, I, I'm not, I think we are definitely in an, you know, I, I really hate the whole fake quarterback controversy. I think that we can all admit that, well, let me rephrase. My read on the situation is that when Jacob Eason comes back, it's going to be his team. Yeah. Um, I think we're very limited playbook-wise with Fromm. But having said that, I think you're right. We are at the point where we can say, you know, Fromm might go 3-0. and He might go 3-1 and um, if he plays in four games. Yeah. So that's a luxury that most teams don't have. Mm-hmm. And so that's very exciting. Um, you were saying about uh, there were a couple – there were a couple of times he led a receiver. He led Terry Godwin on basically mm-hmm. a, f- a sure touchdown catch yeah. where he had beat a guy. Um, the one other person I want to talk about on offense, uh, well, I want to talk about the offensive line in a second. Before we get to the offensive line, um, I thought Nicole Hardman on offense looked really good. We got him, we got him the ball in some very creative ways. He did have a pretty rough drop where the ball hit him in the hands for yeah. what have, would have been a touchdown. Uh, the, the Notre Dame defender made a pretty good play on it, but it was still uh, – you know, that was a pretty bad drop. Uh, but I thought he looked really good on offense. I thought I thought he looked very polished. He looked quick. He looked, you know, everything he was he's built to be as a five-star recruit. You know, the only other person I wanted to talk about was, before we get to the offensive line, I said one, but I actually thought of another one is, I thought DeAndre Swift looked really good. Um, I was very excited about him. He, he looked very shifty. We had a couple of plays that were well-designed for him. It's clear that Cheney wants to get him the ball. Um, I would say my only... You know, I thought that there was some very good creative play calling from Haney, but I would say my biggest critique would just be in general that I felt like we just didn't get the ball to Chubb and Michelle enough. Mm-hmm. And I know part of that is the fact that we don't trust the inside of our, our offensive line, which we're going to talk about in a second. But, you know, Nick Chubb in the fourth quarter had was sitting at 11 carries. Yeah, They had very, they both had very good nights. I mean, Sonny Michelle, 13 attempts, 73 yards, 5%, 5.6 yards per, uh, per touch. He also had one catch for negative two yards. Um, Nick Chubb, 13 attempts, 83 yards, 4.8 uh, yards per carry. He had zero or one reception for 11 yards. To me, that's just not enough. Um, I think both of those guys need to be closer to 15 uh, touches a game mm-hmm. uh, at the minimum. I get that you can't. We do not have the offensive line to just shove it down the uh, 
the opposing team's throat. But I do think there are just a lot of creative things, that, ways that we could be getting the ball, them the ball in the rushing game that we're not doing. Um, you know, I also thought in terms of play calling, there were two other things that frustrated me. One was the wild dog. I thought that the wild dog, the, the wildcat works in theory, but you have to show wrinkles off of it. Mm-hmm. We run the same play out of the wildcat a lot of the time and the defense doesn't respect, you know, any defense we play is not going to respect it as a formation because we haven't proven that we're willing to throw or do a pitch or do a reverse or do anything other than basically just run to the wide side of the field with it. Um, the other thing that frustrated me is that we ran the read option motion a lot where uh, Jake Fromm acts like he's running and he like acts like he's giving it to the running back. You know, that only works if we're willing to let Jake Fromm run it. And he had a couple where if he had kept it, he probably would have gotten five or six easy yards, even though he's not that good of a runner. And so that's really frustrating to me. Like, why even have that running that running action in? Why have that action in the backfield if the defense knows that Jake Fromm's never, ever, ever going to take it? Mm-hmm. Um, but what do you think about the offensive line? Uh, I think the offensive line was all right. The holes, just from you know purely an observational standpoint, it just didn't look like the holes were being held open long enough or big enough for um, these guys to get through. Uh, I know you, you did mention that we need Michelle and Chubb both to touch the ball more, which I think is absolutely true. Um, but I also think that we're probably holding them back a bit until SEC play actually starts. Yeah, I think that's – I mean, I, I can see there's definitely an argument for that. Um I thought the offensive line, I thought Andrew Thomas looked really good at times. I thought that he looked like a freshman at times. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not really that worried about our tackles. I think we play pretty well in pass, de- in pass protection as a whole. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, just our interior, Solomon Kinley was clearly better when he was out there. He didn't play that much. But the interior of our line with Patrick Allen and um, Baker is just inconsistent. Yeah, You know, they just get blown up too much. And there were several times when we were trying to run inside where they just got destroyed. Yeah. And, you know, the problem is that we apparently are not willing to be creative in terms of working with that deficiency. I don't know. I did not take notes about this, but I don't remember seeing a counter the whole game. I don't remember Mm -hmm. seeing, like, a misdirected pitch the whole game. And, you know, we had a couple of things where we were running something interesting, but it was like um, when we were giving it to the halfback, we were, like, faking the pitch and handing it to the halfback behind the back. Like, we did that three times, and it's like, yeah, that's really good, but we went to the well too many times because mm-hmm. that was like, you know, oh, this is our fancy – this is our change of change of pace play or whatever, Ooh, yeah. our, short, our short yardage play. This will get them, which it worked the first three times, but, like, we went back to it the third time, and it's like, you got to be more creative than that. Yeah. And I thought we really tipped our hands at times. We, we, we did our offensive line a disservice because we tipped our hands. We tipped our hand to them because, like – it was very to the defense because it was very clear sometimes what we were going to run based on formation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think every time that we, we got into this like offset eye, uh, we would run or we had to fill back in in a straight up eye. We always went, ran that fullback play. Um, there was a couple of times where we were running this like pistol hybrid with an offset H back where every time we did that, we ran the same running play. And so that, mm-hmm. that was very frustrating. And on one hand, once again, you can probably argue, I'm, I'm starting to believe in this, this crazy, like Kirby Smart is a genius kind of thing, like a, a mad scientist that's it's holding back, you know, the, the craziest of his plays until... Yeah, yeah the, the, four, the four-dimensional chess argument. Yes. <laughs> I'm still holding on to that, especially after this Notre Dame win, that we were able to win with an offense that just looked inefficient. Um, our defense looks incredible, which when you're playing conservatively, I think that's the best way to end up winning. Is yeah. just hold their offense uh, to as low as possible, and then let your offense play just a bit more, just a bit more efficient than that, mm-hmm. which is pretty neat. I don't know. That's that's what I'm holding on to. I'm the conspiracy theorist today. I, I hope I hope so. I mean, I also 
I think the the idea about you know playing conservatively because we have a good defense. I mean, that is a very Kirby smart thing to do. It is. It's pretty clear that Kirby does not give a crap whether or not that we win on style points. Yeah. So you know, it might just be that Kirby's like, yeah, winning by one point is the exact same thing. Yeah. And actually, you know. It is true that the way we won this year or this week was like the best possible way for us to win, mm-hmm. like from a coach's perspective, because we won, we got a big statement win. There was a lot of good stuff going on with the fan base, but at the same time, we committed so many easy, easy penalties. We had so many boneheaded plays that, you know, even after a win, this is probably going to be a pretty rough week at practice for a lot of people. Oh, most definitely. Julian Rochester, who is a really good guy who I've met a couple of times, who I really like and is a great dude. Um, he is going to get torn up. He had two <laughs> hands to the face penalties yep. on basically the same like technique this year or this week. Like he's going to be running. Um, I also thought like Dom Sanders was just a dumb face mask penalty, mm-hmm. a bunch of dumb face masks penalties. So we I think real good at face mask. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think like Kirby would never admit this, but like secretly he probably liked, he liked that we had that, that many mistakes and a win that he can just like yell at people about. <laughs> that's yeah. That's definitely having your work cut out for you as a coach is uh, that's the best problem you could have i feel just dumb penalties that you can fix easily um that's that's better than a big loss and then fixing technically a, a game you know all right so let's talk about some individual plays that we like to we like you know we want to pinpoint or look at um do you have anything that you want to you want to bring up or anything you thought was good or interesting or on mediators specifically uh no well let, let's do plays first here oh, okay uh, there was definitely the Godwin play, which we already mentioned earlier. Um, I really enjoyed every time we put pressure on their line, on their quarterback, and um, went in for a sack or any sort of tackle for loss. Excuse me. We just looked good. Uh, but my favorite one specifically was that very last, like, true play of the game with Davin Bellamy just pushing through their offensive line, forcing that fumble on Winbush. Um, yeah. That was fantastic. And I, I even made a note earlier that Ryan and I, while watching the game, we, we talked a lot about how we just consistently kept wondering, how are we going to screw this up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How are we going to lose? It's the old Larry Munson in us. Yeah, exactly. But the, even after that play, it took us a second to be like, oh, wait, we just won. Yeah, we won. We won the yeah. game. The game's over. We just yeah, won. they don't have any more time out yeah. left. There was a girl, uh, one of the sousaphones who was sitting in front of me. We were all, we got that, we got that recovery and I looked up at this. I knew this, I knew they didn't have any timeouts and I looked up the score and I was like, okay, 40 seconds to buy. Okay, we're good. Or at the time. And she's still freaking out. I was like, no, 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 we won. Don't worry, girl. We won. And she's like, hold on. Are you sure? I was like, yeah, (laughs) actually, unless we fumble one of these uh, times that we take a knee, we won. Yeah. Um, but I had a couple I wanted to point out, um, I thought that J.R. Reed played a really underappreciatedly good game, and there's two plays in the fourth quarter that I think really like pushed or really like the two back to play back plays in the fourth quarter, and it was on Notre Dame's last drive. There was an outside keeper to well, it was their second to last drive. There's an outside keeper to Brandon Winbush on a third and two play at 7:41 in the fourth quarter, where uh, Winbush faked the handoff and then popped it outside, and it looked like he had, um, he looked like he had like basically had the angle to get the first down and um, Jerry Reed and Natrez Patrick just ate him up. And I thought that was just a really impressive example of the kind of discipline that we were, we played with against Wimbush, which we haven't seen against, um, against a lot of other running QBs. You know, one of the things that really impressed me was we had a really, they had a, they had, like we said before, they had a 20% success rate on offensive plays. Mm -hmm. And when you have a running QB who's good, you should never have that low of a a success rate, even if you're going to try to be an explosive offense, because you basically have a dude who can take it for three or four yards every play. Yeah. Right. He's making plays. Yeah. One of the hallmarks of the Cam Newton Auburn team was that 
their success rate offensively was incredible because whenever Cam didn't know what to do, he just kind of ran around and got three or four <laughs> yards. And I mean, uh, this year, Oklahoma is uh, with Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield's kind of the same way. It's like, oh, well, we only got two yards on first down. That sucks. All right, well, Baker's just going to run around in the backfield until he finds somebody on passing down and throw it for 30 yards. Mm-hmm. So to keep those kind of weapons, and I do think Notre Dame's offense is pretty good, to keep that kind of weapon um, contained and to hold them to such a low statistical rate. I mean, he had in the third quarter, he still had negative rushing yards mm-hmm. and he had one total rushing yard on the day when you take into account stats or, or sacks. So I thought that was a, those, that play was a really good example of that sort of like illustrates why the numbers are the way they are. Absolutely. And we, uh, speaking of rushing yards and, and saying that the quarterback was still negative going into the third quarter, we also held them to 27 rushing yards as a team in the first half. Which uh, reminded yeah. me of another really great game um, where we won the first half, but pretty much just shat the bed. We did shat the bed um, in the second half, which was that uh, SEC championship game against LSU. Uh, right. Back in, what, 2011 or something? Well, you know, and I oh, – I'm sorry, finish your thought. I don't know. That, that's all. It was just um, – Well, I think, I think that's uh, – that kind of ties into what we were saying last week about our predictions about how, you know, maybe – if this is a blowout, it will be because we finally look like a team with a bunch of four and five stars. Mm-hmm. And because of turnovers and because of um, conservative offenses play calling and because of penalties, this wasn't a blowout. But we definitely did look like a team on defense that just had 11, four and five stars. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really, really good sign for the rest of the year because we didn't wear out in the fourth quarter. It was obvious that their vaunted offensive line who is good, just could not handle our speed rush. They, we had just hit them and hit them and hit them and hit them every play, and we just had the dudes to do it until, you know, they, there was nothing they could do about mm-hmm. it. I mean, and Dominic Sanders said before the game that he wanted to punish them on every play, and everybody kind of took that as, like, fake juice locker room talk. But <laughs> in hindsight, I kind of think, like, maybe that was Dominic Sanders sort of giving an idea of what UGA's game plan was, which was basically to keep everything in front of you, be faster than Notre Dame, not let them throw it down the field, and just punish anyone who touches the ball, which they did. They did that. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I was, and I think the stats bear that out. If you look at their rushing numbers, I mean, poor Josh Adams. Um, <laughs> I, I, I actually like kind of genuinely felt bad for him because like Josh Adams was their best, was their best rusher, uh, their, their, their leading re- rusher on Saturday, he had 19 attempts for 53 yards, 2.8 yards per carry. And so those are pretty bad numbers for a really good running back that would start at a lot of places. But also just um, objectively, there were like, or sorry, subjectively, there were eight or 10 times where at the end of the run, Josh Adams just got popped mm-hmm. or stoned. And I, and I was just, I was like, poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't it deserve was this. Real, real rough. The only other play, um, and I know we've, We've kind of gone far afield here, but I d- there is one play I want, the one other play I want to talk about that I think was like it also in the fourth four- quarter that um, at 8.01 left in the fourth quarter, we had there was a second and six, which was an inside run to Josh Adams, which gained two yards, which again, obviously doesn't sound that interesting. But if you go back and you dial that up, um, eight minutes and one second left in the fourth quarter, uh, it's a really good example of good coaching and uh, by Trey Scott, our new defensive line coach. He, uh, Julian Rochester, and I think it was, I think it was Marshall. Maybe it might have been Mikhail Carter. Um, we're both had, we're both, if not fully blocked, had dudes in front of them on that play, and did a really good job of keeping their heads outside, of peeking in to find the receiver or the the rusher, and just tackling through their blocker. And that is a, that's very good defensive line coaching. And we've heard a lot about Trey Scott as t- as a technician, and I think that play is a pretty good specific example of how 
that's a true thing and how maybe we will not miss uh Rod, not Rodney Gardner god I'm still living in uh or the early 2000s <laughs> that we won't miss our last defensive line coach whose name is escaping me as much as I thought I think that from a stats standpoint your your prediction last week was definitely a uh, very accurate prediction almost um and it was kind of what the media was also saying about this game they thought that we were going to lose um I think that you did you end up saying that you didn't want that I had us losing by three point three points okay. so four points off the total Okay. Yeah, and the the spread was supposed to be right at six points, yeah. which ended up not being the case. It ended up being a, a one point difference. Of course, we all know now, twenty nineteen. But everyone thought that we were just gonna get, we were just gonna look like old Georgia. Uh, we we're gonna look like old Georgia because we we couldn't play top twenty five teams. We choke when it comes to top twenty five teams. We have a hard time against them, for whatever reason, especially on the road. Um, but we didn't. We we played a very solid game. And if it weren't for that defense, then I'm not sure where we would have been. But yeah, our defense came to play. Our defense stepped up, and it looked like a team that had been playing together for an entire season. Yeah, defensively for sure, and and I totally agree with that. That your read on that narrative because, you know, it was one of the. It was very similar to those like BS um, false comparison fallacies that you see a lot in politics, where it's like the only thing worse than Democrats are Republicans, where it's like, <laughs> oh well, the only team that chokes more than Notre Dame is Georgia, and that was sort of a. I, there were a lot of really smart people in the media who got uh, who had a pretty good read on this game that it was going to be close and that you know Jake Fromm was going to matter and who knows what Georgia's offense can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did see a lot of just sort of like, uh, are these the are is this the Notre Dame of old? Is this UGA of old? Blah 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 blah. And like that, you know, obviously didn't bear out for yeah. one team and like which one's going to choke first? Yeah, think. exactly. Yeah. Um, and I I really don't think either of these t- teams I choked. So. I thought I thought Notre Dame played a pretty good defensive game. I thought. Uh, you know, even though we had some play calling issues and some offensive line issues that uh, we need to get fixed, that some of the plays they made, they were just good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really, I didn't really see that at all. And I think that was one of those hashtag false narratives. <laughs> the only other thing that kind of bothered me was this. I, my experience at Notre Dame was great and it was a bucket list trip and it was awesome. And it was really, I feel very blessed and happy to have been able to gone because I wouldn't be able to afford it if I hadn't gone with the band. Um, and everyone at Notre Dame was very nice and very good to me. And I can't, I have no complaints about that. But having said that, um, Notre Dame, the outs, everything outs, everything until you get to the field of play in Notre Dame is special and it does have an aura, right? Uh, the campus is great. The stadium's cool. The traditions are okay. But then when the <laughs> game actually starts, it's just another college football team. And, and yes, you know, the things around a game can make it special and it made it very special for me. But this, the, one of the things that I was struck by on rewatching it and just thinking about it in general was just the whole thing about Notre Dame plays every game on NBC because they're Notre Dame, they're a national brand Mm -hmm. and, you know, and no disrespect to them, but I think it's pretty clear that of the two teams, Georgia was the one closer to being a national brand this year. I will be very interested to see in 2019, if Notre Dame brings 40,000 people to the stadium, my guess is that they won't. And so the idea that somehow that they that UGA can't field as much of a fan presence, can't play as disciplined and as elite style a defensive game as Notre Dame or as Alabama or as LSU, I think is is facile. It's stupid. Um, you know, this is a, I think that we are working with a program now, and I think that this needs to be our calibration for our expectations. Is that you know this is a program that should and can be elite, and that this is a game that proved that the fan support is there and that the athletes are there and that the coaching maybe might be there for that to happen. And, um, so yeah, 
a bad hashtag media narrative and b this was definitely a game that kind of reset my expectations for things going forward not just in this season but in the more meta sense of like where we go from here as a program yeah and and we touched on that a little bit last week too about how um we needed this win for so many reasons and i think that that was definitely one of them just to reset the way we perceive this team and the way we perceive the brand that we've created as the university of georgia football program um, and I'm excited to see where it goes from here under it, you know, with the Kirby smart rain. This has been Chapel Bell curve. You can find us on iTunes, Google play, and pretty much anywhere you can subscribe to a podcast. You can get in touch with us on Facebook by searching Chapel Bell curve or by email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Chapel Bell curve. Seriously, no one else in the world has those names. Yeah. Just search it. You'll find it. Just find us. Also go check out our new website, chapelbellcurve.com. It'll be a hub for all our new content, blog posts, episodes, Twitter feeds, anything else we find relevant throughout the week. Um, and if you've enjoyed today's episode, you can leave us a rating and a review. And that w- those things really help us. We really appreciate it when you do that. And we'll read out your reviews and uh, your ratings on air in a uh, future episode. But uh, this has been our latest episode. And until next week, you can find us in the Classic City. And until then, go Docs. Go Docs.